Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It is so good to be with you. If you're joining us online for the first time, thank you for dialing us up. I know there's a lot of places that you can go and visit, uh, but we're just so thankful that you're here with us today. If you are a first-time guest, um, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and so glad someone invited you. Uh, we encourage our church to be an inviting church, and, and you all are. You guys are incredible at doing that, and we're so thankful that you're joining us uh, here this morning. If you are new, let me let you know we've been going this through the past couple weeks. We've been, or excuse me, past couple months almost, we've been walking through uh, a series through the book of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to push pause on that. We will finish the entire book, okay? I promise. Um, but we, uh, we, I just wanted to let you know that uh, apparently that's a, that's a real celebratory thing, all right? We never, um, but uh, we will finish and we will pick up Ephesians directly after Easter Sunday. But as the staff and I and our team, we began to pray about what God wanted to do here as we are kind of creeping towards this all-important day that we celebrate one time a year, but hopefully more so every single day of the year, uh, this day that we call Easter, about the, the risen Lord and the resurrected Savior that we have, uh, we felt it important to push pause and walk through a four-week series on the final days of Jesus. And so we're going to start a series called The Final Days of Jesus starting today. And uh, we'll walk through and every week leading all the way up to concluding uh, on Easter Sunday. And um, it's going to be a great series. If you, if you know someone that you think needs to hear this type of series, please invite them. It's going to be going on for a while and, and uh, we're excited about what God is going to share. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the, Ma to the book of Matthew with me. To the book of Matthew. Now, while you're turning there, I want to ask this question because I think it's important. Why, why is it important to study the last week of Jesus, the final days of Jesus? Why is it important to look at the Gospels? Now, when I, when I, ask, what the, when I ask what the Gospel is, some people um, say, well, it's, it's the good news. And yes, it is. But there's also four synoptic Gospels uh, in Scripture, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the Gospels speak kind of a narrative about a life, about a person, actually the greatest life, and the greatest person that ever humanly walked on earth, and his name is Jesus. And so, the Gospels give us a very clear depiction and four different perspectives. They're not, you'll notice as you walk through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your own times with the Lord, you'll discover that they're not identical and they're not meant to be. It actually helps to reinforce the validity of the narrative that we call uh, the life of Jesus, the historical Jesus. It, it gives us a very clear perspective and a clear picture, not just historically speaking, but also personally speaking. See, it's one thing to just tell you about Jesus and, and kind of give you my personal opinion and, and begin to kind of, through conjecture, begin to put things together. It's another thing to look at God's word and say, what did Jesus have to say about himself? And so God used these four letters, these four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to create this narrative to help give us a better understanding, not to merely inform us, not to merely inform you, but to invite us into a deeper understanding of the creator of the universe. 
invite us into a deeper relationship that Jesus has always wanted with you and desires to have with you. And, and then he wanted you to know, he's like, I lived among you, and so I want to give you a, a very clear idea of, of what it means to live like me, to, to talk like me, to understand like me. And, and the best way to do that is to just put it in fine print that we can absorb every single day. Let God's word become a powerful means by which we are invited into this deeper love relationship. I love in the Gospel of John, it says in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I think, I think he gives us a very clear understanding of what the, the, what the aim is. He says this, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. What we have, what we have, it was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the culmination. That's, that's the aim of what this gospel narrative is trying to invite you into if you've never known Jesus as Lord and Savior. There was so much, uh, there's so many things that, have ha that happen in, in these gospel narratives. And there's so much time that we can spend looking at the last days of Jesus because, uh, believe it or not, um, there's actually a shorter amount of time than I ever thought. It, when I was growing up, I thought different events in Scripture like took place like, like tons of time apart, like years apart. Okay, Jesus walked on water. Couple years later, you know, Jesus heals someone, you know, couple years later, you know, all of a sudden Jesus fed a bunch of people in this field. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's all these thoughts that I had in regard to that, but it wasn't that. In fact, all of Jesus' earthly ministry happened in just about three years. I mean, you got about a three year time span when everything that we read about while Jesus was here on earth actually happened. And so with all of these things, we began to pray and say, God, what are the four different things that we can focus on leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so there's four things I want to give to you that we're going to be walking through every single, or for, for the next couple of weeks. The first is the presentation, which is where we're going to be this morning. It's about Jesus' triumphal entry. The second, we're going to talk about the Passover and how, how that is significant for you and for me and what Jesus is actually inviting us into. The third is, is the people, the people actually versus God, that trial time frame, when the, when the trial between Jesus and mankind kind of took place. And then fourth, we'll look at not only his death, but we're going to look at what it means for our Savior to have risen from the dead. So, so if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 this morning. This morning, and I want to look at the first 11 verses. But before I do, would you would you just join me in a word of prayer? I just I just feel led. Let's just let's just start out in a word of prayer here this morning. Oh God, we need you. I don't know ultimately what anyone walked in this morning or dialed up this morning, what they're what they're currently walking through. But Lord Jesus, here's what I know, and it's already been said. There is nothing beyond the victory that you have already given. Jesus, you're enough. 
And Jesus, I, I ask that you would be the clearest picture that is seen this morning. That you would be the understood voice that is spoken this morning, God. That, that the picture that is painted, the, the tapestry that is woven, the, the, what we see, what we hear would be a greater understanding, a greater invitation of who you are. Oh, Holy Spirit, tear down my walls. Tear down our walls that keep us from understanding you. Invite us into a deeper love relationship with the God of the universe uh, than we've ever experienced before. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 1 with me. If you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screens. This is what it says. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Hey, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say that the Lord, has need, Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw the garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Have you ever watched someone working in a wood shop? Busy at work with tools and wood, but had no idea what they were making? You stand there watching the craftsmen move with such precision and intentionality, admiring everything that he's doing, but, but you really have little to no knowledge of what the final product is meant to be. As the work goes on, you begin to convince yourself that you know exactly what this piece of wood is gonna be used for. You feel like you have all the information you need to make a very accurate conclusion. But little does the observer know that the full intent of this craftsman's creation is meant to be something quite different altogether. It's interesting when you look at Jesus and the life that Jesus lived, Jesus was viewed much the same way. You see this during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. See, the people felt like 
They had all the information that they needed to make an accurate conclusion for what Jesus was supposed to do. They felt like, I know exactly why he's here. He's going to deliver us. They didn't realize what he was actually going to deliver them from. And it had nothing to do with Rome. Praise God that he did. How many of us grew up hearing stories about Jesus, right? How many of us grew up um, getting some certain tidbits of information? There's a lot of religious activity. Mom and dad took you to church, and, and for some of you that remember the felt boards, you'd see little characters put on a felt board, and, and, uh, and that was... Uh, just weird, and, uh, and you'd, see these, you'd see these images on a cross, and, and you'd see these television commercials, and you'd get these little tidbits of information, and, 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 and honestly, what we end up doing is, is we end up taking all of these, all this information, and we end up taking all of these, these things that we've gathered, and you know what we do? We feel like we get a, a very clear understanding, a very clear summary of who we think Jesus is is, and then we apply Jesus accordingly. So we make a conclusive decision through all these fragments that we've gathered through the course of our life or, or what have you, and, and we put them all together, and, and, uh, and then we, we kind of say, this, this right here, this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he did. This is what he does for me, and, and then that's how we live our life. This is how we, this is how we go, and we, we think that, we think, man, we're spot on. I know exactly who Jesus is. I know exactly what he came to do. We take a little bit of truth, and then we craft, and we build, I think, a lot of the time, our own truth. You know why? Because, because fragments of Jesus aren't the full picture of Jesus, and our adversary in our world, if, you're, if we're honest with this, they, they create this distortion. You know, because we're, we have a subjective opinion about life. Our world has a subjective opinion. They, they, they present a certain picture of how life ought to be. And then what we do is we end up taking all of these things and then we put it together and we create this picture of Jesus. But I think, and we're going to see here, even in this story here in Matthew, I think think, then as it happens even now, we have a distorted view of Jesus. I remember growing, I remember growing up, some of you guys might remember, uh, we, had, a, we had, uh, had this huge tube TV, okay? It was in this big wooden, like 7,000 pound box, okay? And, uh, and, and this tube TV was in there, and, and, uh, and we uh, occasionally, uh, it, for, for, children too young to remember this, like uh, TV would come over the airwaves, okay, all right, and we didn't have plugs and, and stuff like that, or called cable or, or anything like that, and so, so we'd have uh, these rabbit ears, we'd have like these little antenna rabbit ears in order to get better receptions, okay, and some of you are like, yeah, Joel, I, that, that was me, that was me, okay, so there's the rabbit ears, now, now it, I grew up as the youngest, and so 
as the youngest, my, my brothers were the boss. My older brothers were the boss. And so a lot of the time, the rabbit ears weren't enough. So I would become aluminum foil. Because aluminum foil, apparently, you know, you can kind of stand a certain way and get a better reception. And, and so my brothers would use me as tinfoil man. And, and, uh, and I would, they, to the right, Joel. And I'd be like, oh, gosh, you know. And, and, uh, and they'd get real upset. But, but it's because the picture that we were watching on the screen was was fuzzy, it was distorted, and, and there were times that it would be so distorted, but we're trying to push through because we want to watch the show, and we think that we understand, we think we have a clear picture until we talk with our friends the next day who actually had better reception, who would go, yeah, that had nothing to, no, what are you talking about? We completely missed part of the show because we didn't have a clear picture of what was going on. I think we have a distorted picture of who Jesus is. I think our world has helped push us there. I think our own hearts have helped push a distorted view of what that looks like. See, distortion can be an awful thing. It impairs everything. It really does. It creates an alternate picture of what really is. So let's set the stage here. And as we do, I want to I just inquire incorporate this one little side note before we dive in and we look at this, this narrative here. It's important to know that up to this particular event in time with Jesus, do you realize that Jesus could have, at this point, before this event, he could have just lived out his life with a great ministry. Now, yeah, he would have had his Pharisees and Sadducee enemies, and they could have, you know, still hated him and not liked him and, and you know, wanted to kill him and all this kind of stuff. But, but he ultimately could have just kind of gone his path of, cre- you know, gr- hey, grabbing a, a building down the street called, you know, it's Castle of Jesus Christ Church and, uh, and you know, and, and set up his ministry and, and started kind of sharing his gospel and his message. And he could have had this fruitful and just healing people and, and it would have been great up to this point. But see, this point, this point was really significant, Okay. This was a significant point because it it shifted things, it accelerated things in a much quicker way than than if he just kind of stayed in the background, you know, just kind of continued to coast through his ministry. And so Jesus enters into his last week of life. Now, no one else really knew, knew that except him being God. But let me give you a little bit of context here, a little background. As as Jesus is walking into the city of Jerusalem, and actually not walking, he's riding into the city of Jerusalem. Remember how I mentioned there was a number of different events that happened in a short amount of time? Well, I want you to think about what what are the stories that have been swimming around Jerusalem swimming around the nation of Israel, the Jews. See, Jews were very big on oral tradition, and what oral tradition is, passing, passing history down verbally. And they were, very, they were very concise to make sure that they got the story right. And so, um, so when stories, when different events would happen all throughout the nation of Israel, guess what? It'd start to spread pretty quick. 
And it started getting around. But I want you to understand some of the stories that were swimming around. See, just weeks, like 12 weeks prior, like in December, because right now it's March 29th, 33 AD. So just in December, December, there's all these different things that are happening. You hear about Bartimaeus. You read the story about Bartimaeus, he's a blind guy, and, and, and uh, he's been blind since birth, he's begging, he's yelling at Jesus, 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 and so Jesus tells him to come over here, and, and, and you know what Jesus does? He heals this guy. Whew. That's a story. It starts spreading around. And then, oh, and then guess what? Then, then he starts speaking of, of different parables, and, and he shares the parable of uh, the prodigal son during this time. I mean, this is just a couple weeks prior to this moment that we were reading about here in Matthew chapter 21. He, there's the prodigal son. There's, there's the story about, about the cost of discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of me? You've got to be willing to forsake your mother, your father, your brother, or sister. This message that's never been spoken before, Jesus begins to share. He begins to share. Just a couple weeks ago, there's the story that we know of Zacchaeus. There's a wee little man. Right? And there's this tax collector who people despised and hated. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm going to go to your house and we're going to break bread. We'll watch the game. I mean, it'll be great. And, and we'll, it'll just, this is, uh, this is what's going to happen. And then this tax collector's life was just changed. It was just radically changed. And you know what? People start talking. They start talking about these parables. They start talking about these, this life transformation. And they start talking about, but the thing that actually begins to really begin to swim in their mind is this one story, because it was only just a short while ago. They hear about Lazarus. See, Lazarus was, was he was connected to Mary and Martha, brother. And, uh, and Jesus comes into town after days of him being dead. And Jesus goes, hey, come forth. And, G- and Lazarus comes out of the grave. So guess what? This story is, is swimming around in these people's minds. So think about the stories that you hear. Think about these messages that are coming from all these different directions. And so all of a sudden they hear that this Jesus is coming into town. And then to make to, to set, to, I mean, like Jesus was setting the stage. Jesus was not trying to hide it at this point. Because if you remember, what did Jesus used to do when, when, when people were like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, Jesus goes, shh, shh, shh keep it to yourself. Just, just keep it to yourself. Now's not the time. My time hasn't come. Just, shh, not, not right now. He kept doing that over and over and over. But this time, this moment, he goes, now's the time. Now's the time. And so Jesus, Jesus comes and looking at these first six verses, he comes to his disciples and, 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 and as we're looking at this, like, why today? If now's the time, why today? Well, because it's Passover. And understand during Passover, an additional over two, estimated 2 million people are in Jerusalem now. So think about, like, that's just, that, that's, that's like Orlando on steroids. Like, it's just, like, Orlando gets all kinds. It's, it, Orlando is classified as the largest city in America because of all the people that come in. In that moment, 
Jerusalem is slammed packed with people. And they hear about this Jesus. They're hearing stories and these fragments. And, and so the social media feeds are blowing up. And the, sto- the stone tablet makers can't, you know, type enough and you know it's just it's crazy what's going on and and so we see in these first six verses Jesus kind of turning to his disciples saying hey all right listen um, I want you you guys I want you to go to this one little area in town and uh, and I want you to find this um, this donkey listen um, I want you to go to this place it's around this corner it's at this street okay here's the, here's the address and the disciples are like, you, you guys know? He's like, no, 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 I just, I just know, okay, all right? And, and so the disciples are like, okay, and, and, and when you get there, uh, you'll, see, you'll see a donkey that's tied there. I want you to untie it, and, and listen, when someone asks you what's going on, just say that the Lord has need for it, it's, it's enough. And, and so I want you to go to a place at a time, and I just want you, to, I want you to trust me. And the disciples are like, okay, all right. And they head over there, and, and they're not even sure if they're going to find what Jesus, well, they get there, and all of a sudden, what? It, it's there. Right? The donkey's there, and so they start untying it, and then we understand in Luke, the Luke 19 gospel narrative, it gives us a little bit more information that the owner did come out, like, hey, whoa, 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 it's my donkey. What's, what's happening here? And so they, so you can see the disciples are like, um, the Lord has need of it? Now, I don't know about you, that's... Like, if that's your car, hey, it's a really nice truck. The Lord has need of it right now. How's that going to go for you, right? But see, in this case, it was almost, it was almost like, oh, yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. But think about this. Like, what kind of work had to have been done on that guy? For him to go, oh, absolutely. To just hand over all that he had. Just, yeah, take my brand new unridden donkey and just, yeah, use it for the Lord. What an act of worship in that moment. What a, what a message even for us. And so the disciples go and they get, and, and here's what's crazy is, is, is Jesus knew what he was doing because he knew that he was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 prophecy. And what Zechariah 9.9 actually says, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. He's victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. See, unlike many of the other kings during that day, it was a very clear of king kingship. Like, kings in, in Judaism and in the Jewish nation were identified by actually riding on a We begin to see that when you actually begin to look in First Kings and you see how David put Solomon on a, on a donkey and, they, and then he rode in and, and, and they put garments over top of the donkey's back and, and they rode in. And so, so there's a very clear message being sent by Jesus. He's going, I'm not hiding this anymore. I'm coming in and I am... King, make no mistake, I'm coming in and I am, I'm coming in as king. And so then we begin to, to read more and, and, uh, and it says that most of the crowds laid down garments and, and others branches and, 
and we know that as kind of Palm Sunday, and, and then Jesus was at the center of the procession, and, and all the people all around him were shouting, praise God, son of David, and, and we see this huge, this huge entourage, and people are cheering, and, but then there's this question as you get into this text. There's this question, because it says most of the crowd, not all, most of them are like, oh, this is, this is royalty, yeah. So they spread some garments down, and then, and then, and then it says, then others, you know, they, they took some branches. But then it says in verse 10, it says, as the, Jerusalem was in this uproar, it asks this question. It says, they, it says all of them ask this question. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say most or others or some. It says Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. They asked, if I switch that around, they asked, who is this? They. They. That's even, I'm just assuming, I'm just, Guys, royalty, I'm just going to lay this down. And all of a sudden, there's these whispers in the crowd going, you know, that's Jesus. Yeah, he's that guy that, remember a couple weeks ago, that just rose, someone rose from the dead because of this guy. And, and oh man, he's just, he's, he's coming in. And you know what? He's going to fix the Roman problem. Yay. Tired of these Romans. You're Roman. Okay, all right. Um, but, I'm just tired of him. This the oppression is just beating us down. It's awful. You know what I'm saying? So, so they're excited because they have this picture in their mind of who they think Jesus is or who they think Jesus ought to be. How about if we say it that way? Who is this Jesus and who he ought to be? But this is where I think we have a distorted picture. This is where I think we have a distorted view. See, everyone's saying saying all these different things, but then they're still asking this question, who is this person? Who is this? See, and this is an all-important question for everyone even here this morning, because how you answer that one simple question determines not only your life, but your eternity. How you answer that one question. All of life is hinged on that one question. Who is this guy? As you're sitting there this morning or you're online, I'm just, I wonder what you would say. What would you say about Jesus? Is he just religious activity for you? Right? See, because I think there's this distorted picture that sometimes uh, our heart leads us to because we all want Jesus a specific way. If we're honest, I want Jesus a specific way. I want Jesus manageable because if he's manageable, then he's pliable and usable for when I need him. See, I think the distortion, when we look at some of the people, I think many of them are looking like he's, a, he's an incredible miracle worker. Yeah. You know why? Because he healed some blind people, some lame people can walk. I mean, come on. This guy is a healer. He's going to heal all our problems. 
He's going to take care of all of our boo-boos in our life, right? No, you know what he is? He's our cosmic Santa. Yes. He's going to give me all the gifts I want for life. He's just going to give me everything that I could possibly. Look, I just, you know what? I don't like that judgment stuff you talk about, Jesus. I just want the gifts. I want the blessings. Give me the blessings. And, you know, in my mind, blessings is, is in the form of financial income and stuff and, and all of these and advancements in, in work. And, and I want this great, this great idea of Jesus. He's just constantly giving me what I want. But then he actually even says that, no, it's Jesus the prophet. No, Jesus was just, he's a good guy. He's a sage. He gives us wisdom, and he gives us good information and knowledge on how we should live out our own life. See, we're still in control, but Jesus just kind of offers good stuff, you know, you know, kind of like, um, you know, Confucius and all these other wise sages in life. We kind of lean into the self-help books, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic how he just kind of gives us what we need, and he's just a prophet. Maybe that's what some of the people on that, that road that were laying it down, yeah, he's, he's, he gives great word. But then I think the political king is probably more of the, the view that many of the people there. See, they're tired of the Roman occupation. They're tired of being underneath the regime of Rome in this moment. And they're like, Jesus, you're coming to set us free. And the truth is, is yes, Jesus is coming to deliver. Jesus is coming to be king, and Jesus is coming to set you free, just not in the sense that you're thinking. Not in the sense of, of what you're expecting the, the Messiah. See, their idea of the Messiah was someone that comes in and frees Israel out of this Roman regime and this empire that is just oppressing them, and, and no says, you're our political king. And so they scream this word, Hosanna. And it says, and basically means, please save. Please save. Save us. But then maybe some of that were on the road, and I actually know some of them on the road, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, yeah, Jesus is just an enemy. Maybe this morning, maybe Jesus is an enemy to you. Pharisees are pretty interesting guys, these religious leaders of the day. When you look at the passage, this narrative in Luke chapter 19, we actually get a little bit more detail about this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. So Jesus is coming down through town, he's riding this donkey, this colt, and, uh, and then the Pharisees, and the, they, the people are screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the Pharisees are like, Jesus, you hear what's going on? Can you? See, the Pharisees are really scared at this point because they're going, right now, this is not just a religious statement. This is a political statement. We're saying that Jesus is king over Caesar. Our life is on the line. We are being, that's why I'm saying, at this point, this was crossing a boundary that Jesus couldn't come back from. He was forcing the hands of everyone there to make the decision of who is Jesus. Jesus. See how Jesus is forcing this question. Who am I? 
who am I? And the Pharisees are like, you're our enemy. And so you're, you're robbing us of our religious freedom. You're robbing us of our own freedom. Rome's going to come down hard of us, on us. We're going to die if we don't fix this. We got to deal with this and we got to deal with this now. But, but when you look at the passage in Luke chapter 19, it's fascinating to see this interaction because Jesus is, is going, um, the, the, the Pharisees are going, like, quiet, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus immediately responds. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, they just began to demand, stop this, stop this, stop this. What was Jesus telling them? He was telling them that creation is more aware of who Jesus is and even inanimate objects who are absent of life have a greater understanding of the truth of who this man is than people that are actually alive. Do you see that? Do you understand? Like Jesus is going, even if, even if all the people here today never spoke my name. See, creation recognizes me. The clouds would cry out my name. The rocks would cry out. The mountains would quake. Because they know, they know who created them. They know who has power. They know who has authority. That which is lifeless, knows life when it sees it, even when the living does not. What a tragic moment for the Pharisees. See, the problem with having a distorted view of Jesus is that it plays out in so many different areas of our life, in so many different ways in our life. See, it's not, it's not enough to just have a, a, a distorted view or picture of Jesus. That always plays out bad because it doesn't just stay as a distorted picture or distorted view because how you view Jesus, how you answer that question about who Jesus is determines your eternity, determines your direction, and distortion of Jesus will always destroy the direction you're headed. Always, not sometimes, always. If you have a distorted picture of who Jesus is or who you want him to be, I just want him to be a gift giver. I just want Jesus to be love, 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 love. We love love. Don't like judgment. Don't, I, like to, I like to put aside these things that I don't like and just hang on to the pieces of Jesus I do like because they make me feel good. It's what we do. But I want you to understand that that's a distorted picture of Jesus. That's, that, that's, not, that's not Jesus. A distorted picture of Jesus will always destroy the direction of our life. And this plays out in how? This plays out by distorting your purpose, your purpose for life, and your pursuits in life. So here's some worldviews. I just wanted to put them up here. I, just want, I want you to see some of these worldviews. 
You're like, Joel, but I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a hedonistic. Understand this. This is a worldview. You know what hedonism is? It is a, it is a desire for pleasure. I, I want uh, my God, my, I have a desire to experience the, the greatest pleasure out of life. Now, did God create pleasure? Absolutely. He sure did. Did he give us things in this life so that we would experience pleasure? Absolutely he did. God created sex. It's not dirty. It is something he created. God created food. It is good to eat. God created drink. It is good to drink. God God created all that he did. And he made it in a way. But when we have a distorted view of God, you know what happens? We then put pleasure over God. And so, so it's no longer enough to just have a good meal. It's now to go in excess of what that meal was meant to be. It's no longer enough to have sex in the confines of the way God designed being in marriage. It's now to have as much sex as I possibly can, to engage in as much pleasure as I possibly can. It's always in excess. See, when we have a misguided view of who Jesus is, we always put that above who Jesus is. We have a wrong purpose, a wrong pursuit when we have a distorted view of Jesus. And so the people in this land that are watching Jesus, this triumphal entry, as we call it, they have the Jesus in their mind that they want rather than who he is. We have the Jesus who we, who we want in our mind rather than who he is. For some, it's control. Uh, it's, it's, I have, uh, if I can just have power, See, my worldview is power. Is power wrong? No. People are put into power for reason. We have a government for a reason. When that lust for power goes beyond that which God created, then it becomes something toxic, something abusive, something communistic. And this is why we end up having so much struggles in our land or around the world. For some, it's, it's the purpose of my life is to collect things, possessions. For some, you know what? We may be well-intended. It's a humanitarian. Yes. And help people. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people. I'm saying that when that comes above your love relationship with Jesus, thinking that that is going to give you what you need for life and eternity, you have a distorted view of Jesus. You have a misunderstanding of your own life. And so you're going to pursue things in order to fill a void that was never meant to be filled by good works. For some, it's religious. Hey, I'm just going to organize my life according to rules and religion, and I just want to be good. My life is going to be based on things that are good. The problem is, is what we don't understand. When we have a mis like a misunderstanding or a distorted view of Jesus, you'd never see yourself for what you really are, which is not good. You're bad. Bad. The only thing good in existence is Jesus. We better get that right. For some, it's maybe a nationalist. And this is where a lot of the, like I said, the people there that day, free us from the regime of Rome. Nationalist. Doesn't God want freedom for us? 
Sure he does. But not necessarily earthly freedom. Not necessarily. See, I love our country. I love it. I'm grateful for all that God has given us and he has blessed us. But stop equating the freedoms of this land with the only desire and want that Jesus wants for you and for me. Do you understand that? Like, like a free country isn't necessarily what Jesus is ultimately after. Jesus wants a free person. He wants a free heart. Jesus isn't coming to just rule the nation of Israel or rule the Jews as king, as freedom from Rome. No, Jesus is coming to rule hearts. He's coming to rule people. And people missed it. They lost it. And you know why I know that? Because it, in just a few short days, they begin to chant something quite different than Hosanna. Don't they? I love what George Mueller said this in regard to distorted purposes and pursuits. He said, distorted purposes and pursuits in life not only create a reality which the enemy controls, but a lie capable of stealing our soul's celestial home. When we begin to buy into this distorted view of Jesus, we sometimes miss out on the eternity that Jesus really wants for us. Because if we don't have Jesus for as he is, and for who he is, not based on what we want, but for who he is, man, we can, we can miss out on true life, true salvation. Because here's the two problems I want, I, want to end, I want to end with. Okay? And we're going to be done. The two problems that come from a distorted view of Jesus. When we siphon, fracture, and distort who Jesus is, then we make Jesus anything we want. First problem, Jesus becomes our Swiss army knife. Right? Oh, God, I got a problem. I've already manipulated and kind of shifted you into exactly what I want, and so you fit really good in my pocket. And when I got a problem, you know what I'm going to do? Swiss army knife. I'm going to handle it. Need to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to MacGyver this. You know why? Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus just makes, fixes things. And he, he does good things for me. And he, and he handles problems. And, and, and you know what? That, that's what Jesus is. And can I just say, if that's all you know about Jesus and that's all you expect from Jesus, can I just say that that Jesus is not capable of saving you? He's not capable of saving you. That is a distortion view of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to just make your life easy and pleasurable, even though those things can be part of your life. I'm not saying that they're not. Jesus didn't come primarily to do that. Those are manifestations. Those are additional blessings that God sometimes offers to some of us, not all of us. Jesus came to be your Lord. He, became, he came to be your Lord and Savior. He doesn't want to be a tool wielded in your pocket that you pull out when it's convenient. 
The other problem when you have a distorted view, and I've already said it, is that when we take only a part of Jesus, a distorted portion of Jesus, we, we get a Jesus that actually doesn't save. If you put your faith, your hope, and trust in a Jesus that, you, that someone convinced you to say, hey, you get Jesus, life is going to be so much better for you. Life is, you're not going to have any more problems. That sin you once dealt with, psh, done. It's all going to be handled. Everything, everything's going to work out in your favor. I'm sorry, you were sold a bill of goods. Because as I read this, you know what? You know what I discovered? Men and women suffered for the name of Jesus. Men and women who gave everything that they had in life to say, Jesus, whatever you want. You want my last breath, it's yours. You want my stuff, it's yours. You want my freedom, it's yours. I mean, Paul's, Paul is writing the book of Ephesians from a jail cell, and he's rejoicing. He's saying, God, it's about you, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. Jesus, give me the clearest picture of who you are because only that Jesus, only this Jesus can save me. There's a story, and this, I'll be done. It's about the rich man. Some of you know this story. This rich man who had everything in Mark chapter 10 is where you find the passage. Mark chapter 10, this rich man comes in and, and he's like, Jesus, listen, man, I... I, uh, I'm kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. I've done all the things that, that the Old Testament's told me. I mean, I'm checking all the boxes. I've, I've never missed church. I've, I've gone through all the rituals. I've, I have, I've sacrificed all these different things, and, and I've, I've done all these great things. And he was hoping, he was hoping to come in and, and, and him, Jesus to kind of look at him and go, oh, well, thank goodness you're here. That's what he was I think that's what he was expecting. God, I've been hoping for someone like you. Like, I genuinely think he came in kind of going, hey, God, can you check that last eternity in heaven box for me? Look at all that I've done. See, the rich man had a distorted view of Jesus. See, because Jesus... And Jesus knew his heart. He said, hey, what you lack, though, is one thing. All this stuff that you think is important, I need you to, to get rid of it. And I need you to come follow me. See, that's a hard question right now. Because if Jesus asked you whatever that most important thing in your life is, whatever it is, if he asked you, I, I need you to lay that aside. Give it to me and follow me. Only the people that truly see Jesus this morning would say yes. Yes, I'm in. Whatever the cost, whatever you want, Jesus, I'm in. I'm for you. You know why? Because you are for me. You gave me eternity. You gave me life. How can I not give to you? 
what you have so freely and gracefully and mercifully given to me. So here's my question as we close this morning. What's your view of Jesus?